Hello and welcome to the Sean L. Show, intimate conversations about music, sex, and life in New York City. I am so excited for my guest today. His credits include Motown the Musical, Book of Mormon, Hair, NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar Live in Concert, New York City Stage Songs for a New World by Jason Robert Brown. He was Grammy nominated for his single Let Me Go from his 2019 debut album, A Man Born Black, and his new single, Man in the Barbershop, is the thing that I cannot stop playing. Welcome to the Sean L. Show, Michael Kilgore. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, thank you for being here. Like I said, I am, I've am i been such a big fan of yours and watching your career for the longest time and just such an admirer. Um, so it's such a thrill and an honor for you to be here chatting with me today. Um, so thank you. They can't see it, but I have this Cheshire Cat smile on my face. <laughs> it just is, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, especially when, you know, people have been following me through theater all the way to this. So it, it, it feels extra special to be able to to talk, you know, in a holistic way. You know, there's so many people who only know me for like a little piece of something I do. And it seems like, you know, we've been doing this a long time. So it'll be <laughs> right. good to be able to go back into the, you know, back into the, you know, the, the old files <laughs> and bring up some old stuff. Absolutely. I'm going to bring up all kinds of stuff that you've done because you have done so much because you really you are in musical theater, but you're also in music, you know, pop and R&B music. So um, I think it's cool that, you know, you people do know you from all different places. Right. And at the, and honestly, for me, I I always feel like I'm standing on the backs of or the shoulders of you know, people like Billy Porter and Titus Burgess and um, Ty Taylor, you know, so, so, I mean, it's important to me that like where they have gone, I go and try to push it a little bit further because there are people coming up behind me who are going to need, you know, the little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say it's not a head start, but it's more of like a, they have a longer runway so that they can they can pick up more speed as they fly. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Yes. Um, so I want to kick off. I generally start these podcasts with an icebreaker. And I ask the guests, what are you listening to? What's in your headphones? I'm going to switch it up today. And I'm going to just talk about what I'm listening to. Because it's your new single, The Man <laughs> in the Partner Shop. Anyone who has, how long has it been out? Like two weeks? Two Anyone- weeks, yeah. Anyone who has been in contact with me in the last two weeks has heard about this song. <laughs> oh my goodness, your check is in the mail. <laughs> no, I tr- I'm truly obsessed with it, and there's a lot of reasons why. It's a good song. I like um, great vocals. I like soul music. That's just, you know, on level. But also, there's such a craving still for stories to be told. Um, from a gay man's perspective. And there's yeah. just lack of that, that when it's done and it's done this well, it's so exuberantly exciting to me. So um, I think that's, you know, all the reasons that I'm obsessed with it. Can you tell folks that haven't heard the song yet and they're free to stop the podcast and go find it if they want to. But oh, can please you stop it. Go right to YouTube <laughs> and type in the man in the barbershop. Yes. Can you tell the story of this song? Because it's a story song. 
It absolutely is. Um, so the story is, um, and we're using the barbershop as the as the place where the action happens. But mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a place. I see a man. He's beautiful, um, beautiful enough that it makes me want to fantasize and dream. And the dream is interrupted by reality halfway through the dream. Um, but I think the beauty of the song is it just gives queer men the freedom to imagine and dream. It's not um, on purpose. I made sure the dream was not as lewd as it could be because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you throw sexuality into it, or homosexuality into it, people want to dive deep into like the most like um, provocative version. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, a lot of our fantasy lives you know, especially in the middle of the day when you're just getting caught up in a daydream can be very, very light and, and adorable and sweet and tender. And I wanted to do that. And and also, I think there's a lack of of conversation when we talk about the tenderness of men mm-hmm. and the sweetness and the softness of men. And I'm so attracted to men's softness and mm. their sweetness and their tenderness. It is ambrosial it is intoxicating um when a man has the capacity to go there it you know so i i i wanted to elevate and celebrate that too in the song yes oh my gosh uh, i will google ambrosial when i get off this <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm gonna get in trouble because i'm always being told michael you don't have to be a thesaurus but I think to myself, if Mariah Carey can do it, like, so can I. No, uh, so much of my vocabulary comes from Mariah Carey. So let's add you to that list. <laughs> I mean, that's a great songwriter right there. Um, I want to talk about something you just said. You said that you purposely did not make it as lewd as it could be. And the thing that I noticed about this song is, yes, it's very sweet it doesn't go all the way there is like what you're really fantasizing about fantasizing about but musically i think so much can be done with music because the music bed the guitar um mm-hmm. drum pattern is giving me a little sex it's oh it's sex that, is definitely in there it's doing that thing that janet is great at like if you think about like in i get lonely the music is giving you sex but the lyrics and the vocals are giving you melancholy. And I think that, that this song is, a, is achieving that. And I think that's one of the things that for me makes it so special and so stand out. Was that intentional when you were creating this song? Well, it was intentional. And I have to give a huge shout out to Jameson Ross, who, was my, who produced this. And he co-produced it with um, John Michael. Um, it was important to me. And, and this is something I do in a lot of my writing. Um, I call it the Mary Poppins effect, where it's like if you, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So depending on the subject matter, like the music needs to help people get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, this is kind of like a sad love song. This is, I call it Tony Braxton territory. You know, like she's the queen of like the sad love song. Um, yeah. And, but I wanted the music to be the subconscious like desire. Yeah. You know, and that's why it is so sensual and sexual and it's a trance. It's like maybe mm-hmm. I can lure you in with this dee 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 dee. And um 
a lot of my friends are like, man, whoever thought that up? And I was like, that darn Jameson. He's a genius. <laughs> He's a genius, yeah. It is so good. Like, this will be a song I think we listen to decades into the future. I oh, think I, I'm hopeful. I, yeah. I, wanted, I wanted it to feel like it was timeless, but mm-hmm. I wanted it to feel like it was about now. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm, I'm feeling confident that we achieved that goal by putting out something that really was as um, couture to me as possible, which kind of made it more accessible to other people. I'm, I remember a story someone told about uh, the musical Sunday in the Park with George, mm-hmm. and the original thought was that Dot was a soprano and George was a baritone. Mm-hmm. And then in comes Bernadette Peters and Mandy Patinkin, and, and they were like, well, let's just make this couture to these two incredible talents. And right. now they're two of the most well-written characters in all musical theater. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I guess we should be more specific. The more specific you are, the easier it is for, for people to live in that, in that life. And I think um, that was on my mind. My musical theater upbringing is always on my mind when I go sit ah. down to write. But I think that when you take something like musical theater, where it's storytelling, and you translate that into R&B soul, it, it makes it that much richer than just approaching it from, you know, something that you would want to hear, you know, something that's a good song. It's just the storytelling aspect, I think, takes it to a whole other level that I think is incredible. Well, I mean, we kind of grew up, I mean, I don't want to say we, but me for sure, I grew up you know, with 90s R&B, 80s R&B, and and going back. And I mean, even as recent as, you know, well, now I won't say as recent as this, but like in my childhood, I remember Drew Hill's Somebody Sleeping in My Bed. And that is a very gripping story. Like, you have to listen to the whole song to get this whole story. Yeah. Um. Like, just the first lyric is so good. Got this feeling, and I just can't turn it loose. Like, yeah. Set up the story for us, Cisco. Right. <laughs> he does an incredible job. So I'm always thinking of that. I, I tell people, like, I go to the to the India IRE School of Writing, but I also go to the Babyface School of Writing as well okay. as the um, Stephen Sondheim School of Writing. Like, do we, do we need that beat? Cut it. Do we need that lyric? Cut it. Like, I yep. want to make sure that it is as distilled as we, pers- we possibly can get it. Yeah, I think that those three names, if those are your influences, you're going to continue to do fantastic. (laughs) That's what I'm reaching for. I don't know that I've reached it, but I'm reaching for them. Those are the brass rings to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Listening to this, this song, I don't know why, but this song keeps coming up in my head and it's a very different kind of song. But like I go back to like Aretha, you know, that song Angel. And she's like, my sister Carolyn came over today (laughs) and she sets it up like, I'm about to tell you a story. It gives me that type of thing. And I love that so much. I love that. That era is so important to me. It it was really a place where genius was celebrated, um, but like hard fought genius. You know what I mean? No one was just going, look at you. You're a genius. Your first thing. They're going, all right, let's see how long this string can go. And there was a lot of respect for people who are prolific. Um, Also, I I feel like there's like an ebb and flow in the world always. Like there will be a day when people are very, very excited about you being um, a vocal acrobat 
and there will come a time where they're like, we just need this to be singable for everybody. Um, yeah. And for me, I think I'm in a cool time where um, artistry is really prized. And they just don't they don't want you to when I say they, I mean, the audience isn't just interested in, oh, sing the song. They want to know that this feels like something only you can do. That's kind of like why I'm so in love with Rihanna. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine anybody else singing her music. Yeah, it's almost and like I might get shot for this, but it's almost how I feel about Prince because I don't like hearing Prince covers. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird because there are people who sing them so well. But I don't want to hear anybody else sing it but Prince because, like, that's to me how I feel the song should be sung. And then, of course, there's the songs that he's written for other people. But it's weird because I could hear anybody sing Nothing Compares to You and Feel Fine. Right. But I don't want to hear – not anybody can sing Purple Rain. It's just stop where you, stop before you start, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. I feel – so – Oh my gosh, I was going to talk about this later, but I'm going to divert right into it. I feel the same about Whitney Houston. I don't feel like I need to hear covers of her because I feel like there's a lot of singers that can do what she did. They can mimic what she's done. Right. Have the range. But she was such an artist in just creating those riffs and like the way that she delivered it, the way she flip from her head voice down low and her mix. And she was such an incredible vocal producer in that way. And so going in to see you do a Whitney cover, we're going way back here. Oh, we're going way back. Yes. You know, having that sort of feeling of, do we need Whitney covers? And then being blown out of the room by your cover of Didn't We Almost Have It All. I've DM'd you on Instagram a few times. I need a studio version of that at (laughs) some point. I am never going to stop bothering you about that because I think that you need to bring it. If you're going to cover Whitney Houston, you need to bring it all the way. And you guys reinvented that song with the arrangement and the way that you delivered that it's on YouTube. So if anyone wants to go look up Michael Kilgore, didn't we almost have it all? I watch it like monthly. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like on the, on the podcast, like the clip of it goes right here. <laughs> um, I think you hit on something really important to me because my feelings about covers are this. You only cover things that are obscure or mm-hmm. epic. That's it. Mm-hmm. You don't cover any middle in music. Like yeah. it has to be so obscure that people are like, who wrote that? Like that's, that's Maxwell doing this woman's worth, even though it's a great song. People didn't really know it. Yeah. Like uh, the generation that he was playing it for didn't really know it. That was a great one. Or killing me softly, which is epic. Like, this is a song that is so well known and so well loved 
that it's like, you better come and do it the right way. And I felt like Didn't We Almost Have It All is such an epic song and it takes your own creativity to make it work. Because if you try to do what she did, you will always fail at being Whitney Houston. There's only one. That's right. That's There's right. only one Whitney. So you better come with your own perspective and point of view. And um, if I can be an old person right now, sometimes when I'm listening to music or looking at young artists or new artists, that's on my mind. I'm going, what is the point of view? Like, what are you <laughs> what are you trying to say? And I don't and I don't mean it as if they don't have a point of view. I mean it as if is in like it's important to me to be able to follow the story of what you're trying to to give us mm-hmm. it's really important to me and and as much as like i don't want to make being five seven my own my personality like that's the only thing i talk about like i as a musician like my story has to be bigger than just one or two things like i tell mm-hmm. my manager all the time being gay is so boring it's so boring like that cannot be the thing that we talk about. And, you know, he's very serious about making sure that, you know, I'm seen as a 360 degree human being, a fully three dimensional person. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's like the conversations that like drive me crazy where it's, where I'm going, you know, being gay is a piece of this puzzle, but it's like, it's a, one of those big hard puzzles. And that's yeah. just a piece of it. Like, yeah. you're not going to get the full picture if that's all you're focused on. Like, we're going to have to to like find some other pieces and put them together just kind of get an idea of of what we're looking at and um i feel like i'm rambling now but like as just like an old person like looking at young artists i'm very interested and excited in you know the artists who i'm like oh you have something to say that can only be said by you and that's right. what i want to hear i really right. want to hear that yeah and you're you're definitely doing that can you talk a little bit about barbershop culture? Because that I think is unique to the black community. I was I started texting friends today because it never occurred to me my white friends where they got their haircut when they were a kid. I always <laughs> went to like, the salon with my mom. Like <laughs> and then even my dad went there. Like white people just don't have the relationship with their hair. Barbershops are a big deal. So in the black community. So we adds a layer to this song as well. Can you talk for people that may not be aware of that, like what that is like and how that also adds a layer of emotion to this song? There are very few places where Black people can go to take them their masks off. Um, there's a version of Blackness that I feel like most Black people have to perform when white people are around, um, and it's for their own protection, um, it's for their own comfort. Um, and the barbershop is a place where um, it tends to be all black and and sometimes even all male. Um, and these are places that are about community. Um, we find out the news of the you know in our in our community you know the gossip we we. There are people who are in barbershops strategizing and planning for the uplifting of the community and, you know, all sorts of things, you know. And then there's, like, just the foolery that, like, only are for, like, black eyes and ears, you know, that happens in there. Um, The problem is that um, whiteness is very hard to escape, even in black spaces. And uh, a huge... um, 
and a huge stronghold that whiteness has in the black community is homophobia and the ideas of like <clears throat> black sexuality needs to needs to produce kids or it needs to be um in quotes christian for it to be viable so there's a lot of homophobia and um there tends to be a lot of homophobia in in those spaces so growing up as a black queer person um I was always like the mute in the barbershop. I didn't want to talk because my voice was very high. And I knew once I said anything, it was going to be very difficult to to hide again. Um, I was lucky because I like had a mustache when I was 11. So I kind of looked like a man. Um, but I, you know, but I was always nervous that I was going to be found out there. Um, and as my career has gone on, it's been important to me to reclaim spaces. And the barbershop was a space that I really wanted to reclaim um, for all black people, um, queer, straight, cis, trans, you know, so, um, this is my second music video in a barbershop, <laughs> um, because they matter that much to me, and I, um, I really want it, I, I really want, um, the hearts and minds of the community to change, um, in those spaces, because that's gonna breed bigger change, it's like these little itty-bitty spaces, like, in your Bible studies, in your barber shops, at your grocery stores, at your, you know, at your kids' birthday parties, like those are places where if we start doing community better and start doing inclusion better and start doing um, the dismantling of like white supremacy in those spaces, they're gonna the the waves are gonna resound like out to much, you know, huger. Um, spaces i believe i have a sincere belief in that so um so i think i've done a good job of explaining what the barbershop is no absolutely uh, <laughs> i wanted to just convey for people that may not know the importance of it and how and you said it perfectly because my follow-up was going to be about like the masculine energy in those spaces and how that affected you as a gay man. I had a conversation recently with my dad about how traditionally masculine environments always felt uncomfortable for me as a kid. And it never occurred to him, um, it, even though he's he I'm very lucky he's very accepting. But um it's interesting how we quell ourselves down in traditionally right. masculine spaces. And it just adds layers for you that I never had to experience being that that was a place of escape already, but you still couldn't show up authentically. Right. Well, right. And, um, and it's, it's funny because in a way I'm multilingual because, you know, there's, you know, understanding what it is to be queer, understanding what it is to be black, black male. Um, and I'm I'm wondering if our like straight friends or allies in quotes, like understand, you know, how that they need to learn another language, you know, to be to be able to help us in the best way possible. I'm I think about that all the time. I, I I'm very tough on black straight men. I'm very, very tough on them because they're the closest thing to what to my experience. You know, mm -hmm. from a distance, they are very much like me. Like we we're seen exactly the same. Um and I and I and I do wonder if we see each other's experience well enough to support each other fully enough. You know, mm -hmm. and then I look at like my white queer friends and I go, 
you know, we're both queer, but do you see the blackness clear enough to to support me in a way that feels um, supportive <laughs> and not just performative? You know what I mean? So um, I, I, the barbershop is a, is a funny place because it's a it's a place where my where my paths cross in a way where I'm going, how do we how do we handle this fork in the road? Um, but it's a, but the place is a metaphor. I can take that barbershop everywhere in my life and go, okay, now, which is the path we're taking, mm-hmm. you know, in this space, you know, to get to, to community? Like, how do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that going back to the single and the lyrics of the song, I think that there, you guys made an interesting choice with this song in that, um, I'm going to pull up the lyrics because I want to get it like exactly. Um, But his girlfriend walks in, this guy that you have sort of had this flirtation with um, that is gorgeous. And um, when she walks in, you say her eyes shine like diamonds. Shine like diamonds to look at him. And he started glowing when she came in. Uh, no use of trying What's hers could never be mine But when you walked away with her hand in hand Part of me wished for a backward glance And so it just shows like you're witnessing their love for each other and you say what's hers could never be mine and but when you walked away with her hand in hand part of me wished for a backward glance and my heart just fucking shatters because it's so (laughs) it's heartbreaking but it's a choice that's a a songwriting choice because he could have been you know on the dl he could have been giving you that backward glance that you were longing for and you made the specific choice that he doesn't that it just was a kind interaction. It was and- a kind interaction. And I and I think that's the part, I'm so glad you said something about it because that was the part I really wanted to make clear is as a, as a gay person, it took me a long time to learn that there are people who are nice to me not because they wanted to sleep with me. Mm-hmm. They were just nice. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's okay to like have just platonic, male friends I don't the older I get the more I don't like the feeling of going oh this is my friend and we started off dating or this is my friend and we hooked up uh, like you know what I mean I like that there I have a nice chunk of friends that it's never been romantic it's right. always been platonic and um I don't think there's anything wrong with however your friendship starts like go off sis like live but yeah. but for me it was it was me like being grounded enough in like what I wanted that I wasn't just like snatching the crumbs of whatever anybody left emotionally for me and it's sort of like, oh, they they said something nice to me, so maybe I should like them. It was mm-hmm. like, well, what do you want for your life? Like what do you really, really want? And uh what do you really, really want? I am such a spice girl. Um <laughs> <laughs> we all I was like, tell me what you want. Um I, but in the song, I was like, acknowledging that this man is straight, what's hers could never be mine. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. 
yeah. is for her. Yeah. Um, and then to go into the bridge and just be like, the lament of like, why do I want what I can't have? Like, what is it in me? Mm-hmm. Because so many of us are like, man, men don't like me. I'm like, not, I don't know why, like, it's not happening. It's like, that's not true. There are men that want you all over the place. You don't want them. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's very few of us who, like, nobody wants us. The people that want us, we just don't want them. And that's <laughs> right. fine. And that's yeah. fine, too. Um, But then I started going, like, why, like, what am I attracted to? What am I really attracted to? Yeah. Like, and why am I attracted to it? Like, is there, am I trying to fill a space? Am I trying to, like, remedy something? Or is it real attraction? Is it, like, is it truly, like, from my soul? Like, this is a thing that, that will nourish me. Um, And I'm going to tell you this, creeping around with some straight man is not going to do it for me. No. It is not going to do it for me. Not going to do it for me. So I was like, let him walk away. Let him yeah. walk away in the way that he does. But this is actually a real story. Of oh, like a guy. Shit. Yeah, it's a real story of this guy that I met. What is this a true story? It's a true story. It was a guy I met in a barbershop. This is years ago. Yeah. And we he and I are friends. Okay. Like, he's a therapist. He's like a really, really wonderful, upstanding, cool guy. And we yeah. talk all the time. Yeah. Um, but we met and there was energy and sure as shooting. He was like, Yeah, and then my girlfriend. And everyone in the barbershop was like, girlfriend (laughs) sure enough he had a girlfriend they broke up and then like but now he's with this really spectacular girl but truly i've my friends have dm me they're like child what really happened i was like no this is what really happened like he left with his girlfriend it was all good we just stayed friends and i was like looking with the side eye for a second you know kind of like really really but then it was like no it's for real and and it was it was a good it was a very good moment in my life to kind of go you know what every bit of every person that comes to me isn't for me mm-hmm. you know what I mean so that's okay that's okay too yeah. listeners out there everyone that comes to you is not for you and that's okay lessons lessons with Michael yep. Kilgore <laughs> <laughs> new podcast yeah let's I want to just off of that being it being a true story the marketing lead up to this single was just so genius can you for anyone that isn't on your instagram can you just talk about the way you led up to this single because if i and i also was mad at you for a split second but tell (laughs) tell everyone how you led up to this single it started with a misconnections ad on craigslist with me saying i met this guy he was beautiful. We talked about this and that. Um, but I didn't get your number. I didn't get your name. Um, but hopefully I can find you. You know, hopefully you'll find this. Yeah. And I posted that ad on my Instagram and the internet started internetting. Yeah. And they were like, oh my God, so what does he look like? Tell us this, tell us that. We're going to help find you, find him. And like, it was a week of people trying to help me find and I was like I'm gonna go back to the barbershop I'm gonna see if I can find the barber and ask him for his number and went back to the barbershop like it was fully elaborate um leading up to the the um, drop of my video and my single the man in the barbershop and um you know I I'm not quite at the levels of Lil Nas X and Lady Gaga when it comes to promotional budget Right. So we thought we would we would try to do something that was interesting and 
would get people's attention and and have them invested in the story. Now, what I didn't understand is that even now, after revealing everything, people are still going like, "What what happened to him?" Like, like uh, so did you guys end up together? Like, what is it? And I was like, "You have not listened to the song, have you?" Well, that's I was rooting for you because I was. <laughs> Thank you, Tyra. Like, oh my God, I hope he finds him. And then the single came out, and I was like, "It was for a single." I was so mad. And then I listened to the song, and I was like, "I am not. I can't. I cannot be mad. It, this is <laughs> it, this is incredible. This is genius, and I love it." But people were know. actually really upset. Yes, they were upset, and yeah. I, I I hate that they were so mad. <laughs> we'll we'll pray for them. <laughs> They'll be okay. <laughs> Yes, they better be. Oh, oh my gosh. All right. So I've spent half my time with you just talking about this single. I kind of thought I might because I'm obsessed with it, but I'm going to move on. So back to our icebreaker question. What are you listening to? Um, What is in your headphones? What are you loving right now? Well, right now I'm listening to Bia. Um, Victoria Monet is always in heavy rotation. Um, My good homegirl, I'm Yeba, listening to her. Yeah. Um, and also Lil Nas X, like this new project. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like people, but I mean, of course, everyone's listening to Lil Nas X, but like my mm-hmm. like sister, Cynthia Revo, like I've been like bathing mm-hmm. in her and yeah. Cam- and my homeboy, Cameron Wright. Um, you may not know who he is, but he's I incredible. Saw. I'll definitely yeah, check He has it. a song called Take Five. Okay. And it's so sexy and cool. So I'm like living for it. And I've also been crying my eyes out to Casey Musgraves. So that's my gosh. Same. Yeah. (laughs) That album is so sad. Like from the moment Good Wife starts playing, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a a real journey. Okay. Okay. Those are all story songs on that album. Yes. Well, that's I mean, I love country. I learned how to write in Nashville. I lived in Nashville and I feel like the energy of Nashville is what taught me how to really sculpt and shape a musical moment that way. Yeah, country has a lot of good storytelling. Oh songs. yeah, yeah, yeah. Big country guy. So I was glad that this album from her leans a little bit more pop. It's a little bit more palatable for me, but um, I it's it's incredible. Um, I don't want to gloss over either Little Nas X because I've been listening to him nonstop. Um, can we just talk about what it means to have someone that visible that is? gay like I was watching him on the VMAs and he was you know pelvic thrusting in a bedazzled pink brief and I was like emotional I was like this is so beautiful (laughs) I don't think that was the message that he was trying to give but when I was a kid we didn't have that we had you know and it's interesting because different people will different gay men will have different opinions there are probably gay men that grew up you know drooling over uh, Justin Timberlake and Usher. I hated Justin Timberlake and Usher because it felt degrading to me to find any straight man attractive. I still sort of have that. I've never had that experience of sort of fawning over a straight guy. So I would watch Janet and I was like, I want a guy version of this. Like someone that's this sexy, yeah. sex- sexy but is like gay guy. So like how, like how much does it mean to you? Because it means so much to me. I'm so happy that he exists. Mm-hmm. Um, we need him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the packaging couldn't be any better for the message that we're trying to share. I think with Lil Nas X, I'm seeing him like a, what is his name? Um, 
oh my god my my sports brain is not working he's a jackie washington you know what i mean he's like the he's the first and he's doing so well and he's like playing it exactly the way it's supposed to be played robinson i'm jackie robinson jackie robinson yeah jackie washington who is that oh my god jackie washington is from jackie's back no jackie washington is jennifer Jennifer Lewis, Jackie's back. That's oh, not- what a homosexual! What a homosexual! He's a <laughs> he's a Jackie Robinson. Let's fix that. Um, and I'm looking for you know the I'm looking for the players who are gonna come behind him and really just like stick it to the to the system, you know. And also for me, like I'm a man of a certain age, so a lot of the experiences and the like storytelling that he's doing it's not for me anymore right <laughs> like i've already i've already been there i've already done it like been there done it got the t-shirt like yep honey i have all the merch <laughs> from that tour yeah at my house so you know what i mean so i uh I'm, I'm very very thankful that he exists and that he's making the art that he's making and um that is touching a generation in the way that it is and it's great because now he's proving a point that mm-hmm. um, a lot of us knew was true. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. as long as, as the art hits, that's what matters. Right. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm similar. Sometimes I feel a, a little bit old, <laughs> but um, it, I, it would have meant so much if he was around when I was younger, it just would have been incredible. And I, it would have hit I, very differently for sure. Yep, absolutely. So I'm so happy for all the kids that are growing up with him because it's just going to be such a different, you know, moment for them. All right. So we have to talk about this party that you went to recently. Some people might have heard of it. It's kind of a big deal. The Met Gala? The Met (laughs) Gala. Gala. (laughs) Wait, so you performed at the Met Gala. What did you sing? Because there's no video because there's no video. It's all it's all very secretive. We did a a tribute to Broadway. So I did like a medley of Broadway songs. And then Audrey McDonald came after me. And then Justin Bieber came and did his own set in a mask the whole time. It was very interesting. Okay. And we're moving right along. But (laughs) it was it was such a crazy night. It was so cool to be invited to the Met Gala. Um, and especially at this point in my career, it's like so early in my recording career to like be invited to walk the carpet and, and do all of that. So it made me feel great to um, be able to represent for um, a black, a, a brilliant black designer, um, Dapper Dan, because the, the assignment was American, the American lexicon of fashion. And um he created Logomania, you know, like he is so important to not just street fashion, but to the American, you know, story of fashion. So I, I was really, really honored. Yeah, that's incredible. Who you had so many great pictures of celebs who were like your biggest celebs. Like what's what's a great what's a great Met Gala story from that night? I saw you with you were with the queen. You were with Anna Wintour. Well, Anna Wintour handpicked me. She stopped yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think her. I would too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Alana Glazer is probably my favorite person I met and then I that I met that night because she um I had no idea who I was, saw my my outfit, waved at me. I told her that she looked fabulous. She told me that that I looked fabulous. We talked for a moment. She was working, so I, we couldn't talk too deeply, but she's like, I'll see you inside. 
And then I performed and she ran up to me and was like, oh my God, I had no idea how great you were. And my first thought was, and you were so kind to me before you even knew. Yeah. And that is the kind of person I really want to be. So Alana Glazer, give her her flowers, give her her things. Yeah. She is a real down chick and I, and I am a huge fan. Yeah. Even I huger than I was before. That's like the perception I get of her. So I feel like it's always so nice when you have a positive perception of someone. And that is the reality. The of... real out, the real version of them is that sweet and lovely. Yeah. She, absolutely. she was actually that great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, you are Grammy nominated, which is incredible, uh, for your single, Let Me Go from your last album, A Man Born Black. And that nomination was very significant because it made you the first openly gay man to be nominated in traditional R&B category. Um, What did that feel like? What was that experience of being nominated for Grammy, the whole thing? Because that's incredible. Um, Honestly, I don't know that that it hit me as hard beforehand that this is who I was going to be. But after getting the nomination, it it hit me very hard that like I I get to now let the world know the water's fine, come on in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For other queer artists, I I better not be the last. <laughs> there better be a lot more. Um open openly queer with the subject matter being rooted in their queer identity. You know, mm-hmm. I want that for the industry and not because it is in vogue and because you know it's popular but because this is just like humans making good art it's about their life Mm -hmm. you know and I can't not talk about that it's like me making art and it's like my blackness is not a subject I don't want to talk about being black it's like of course I do Mm -hmm. it's a part of who I am so so that that felt really um profound to um to know that after it happened. Um, but beforehand, it was just about like, let's just really make music that is worthy of praise. And if we get it, great. But if we don't, we already know what it's worth. And, um, you know, so that that's where I, I lay in that subject. Yeah. Your manager sent me your bio ahead of this interview and I read it. And I didn't know that that distinction of that Grammy nomination, that it made you the first openly gay man until I read it in your bio and I was, it, it, it tweaked my heart a little bit because it, it made me think about previous queer people that may have had those nominations that weren't out. Like I, I'm in my head, I'm like reading your bio thinking about like Luther or Whitney mm-hmm. and just thinking like, oh my gosh, it's so weird that it took till now. It, it, there's so many firsts and you hear them and you're like, that's the first? How did, how did we get this long? Um, and so I wonder if you, if, that, if you thought about that when you were going through that time. Um, I'm always thinking about like the Tevin Campbells and the Luther Vandrosses and the, you know, now Whitney Houston's of our industry that did not get to they did not get to show up in the way that they deserved. Um, and my career is not a fuck you to that. It's, but it's more like a, I'm coming for all their stuff, all yeah. the stuff that they were supposed to get. We better get it. I, I want it now mm-hmm. so that at least it's going in the hands of somebody who's going to 
pay homage. Um, And like, that's important to me. It's really, really important to me that like, I make it clear that like, I'm standing on those shoulders. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So that's, it's important. It's really important. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love that answer. Can I just ask you like fan to fan about Whitney? Cause I'm such a huge Whitney fan. This is the part in the interview I originally had to ask you about. Didn't we almost have it all? But what, what do you think is a fan of like the way her legacy is being treated today with, there's another motion picture that's in the a major motion picture that's in the works. They had that documentary, um, what do you what do you feel as a fan about that? Um, nostalgia is very heady. You know, people love nostalgia, so it's it's hard to tell people like stop making movies about her, like move on, because she was so phenomenal. It's difficult to like move on from that kind of you know star power that she had. Um, I just I just kind of feel like. Are we gonna let her rest in peace at all? Like, yeah. can we can we give her like a little rest? Um, yeah. It's as if someone made a movie about Aaliyah and was like, we're gonna do the whole movie is gonna be about Aaliyah and her relationship with R. Kelly. It's like, oh God, please, can we not do that? Mm-hmm. Like, can we can we not do that? Um, especially because it's so salacious and it feels it doesn't feel like it's about the respect of her or mm-hmm. it's just sort of like, oh, like this will sell. So, yeah. so it's for a lot of artists that are that are gone. Like, of course, we want to hear the full story, and a lot of times you'll never hear it until someone's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things about my life that I don't want nobody to know until I'm gone. <laughs> right. um, so, I mean, I get it, but it's just like, all right, now, come on. It comes a point where it's just if if it's just like, well, no, no wonder she's not with us anymore yeah. because she's only a commodity to so many of you, and yes. not a human being who deserves if if only a little bit more respect you know yeah so. that's a, that's how i feel too i'm i will not be going to the hologram tour i'm not looking forward to the yeah movie. like come on come on i now. just I, I i didn't like that documentary that her family did um and i just worry about who gets to tell her story and yeah and so it just, it doesn't feel good to me. People that listen to this podcast for a long time, this isn't the first time I bring this up. Yeah, they're like, they're like, we know, we know, girl. know how you feel about Whitney. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the past things in your career. Um, when you were promoting that Grammy-nominated single and the album, you got an opportunity to open for someone that I love. And you mentioned her earlier in the podcast, India Ari. Can you just yes. talk about what your relationship is like with her, how that opportunity came to be and what that was like? Because I think she's, well, she's so phenomenal. She, she is family. Um, she called me, no, she sent me a DM and was like, would you like to open for me? And I was like, are you serious right now? <laughs> um, so when she sent me the DM, I gagged. Um and of course I would like jumped at to it and she taught me a lot on that tour. She was such a gentle, um, loving leader. Um, she was very serious about the care of her audience. She really wanted them to be taken care of and, and supported. Um, and then she was so willing to share her shine. Like she would bring me out at the end of every show mm-hmm. and like come and take a bow with her. And I'm like, no, like this is your moment. 
and she was so willing to share it with me and I was like I'm learning what mm-hmm. it is to really lead um and when you are so secure in mm-hmm. your gift and in your position it makes it easy for you to like make ways for others and she truly did that for me so I will always be indebted to her and I will always speak so highly and lovingly of her because she's that incredible yeah what's your I mean it's hard to pick but do you have a favorite India Ari song I am light mm, I love that one too <laughs> period <laughs> yeah that's I've been listening to that one a lot lately actually that's such a good one um all right so we're wrapping up here in a little bit so we know how the story with the men in the barbershop ends. Are you dating? Are you, what does dating look like for Michael Kilgore these days? Are you seeing someone? I'm dating. I'm like allowing myself to, you know, be open to whatever comes. You know what I mean? So, so I'm staying open. I'm, my heart is, is available. It's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You on the are you on the apps? Are you an app guy? Or I feel like, like Instagram is the only app I really need at this point. Like Instagram, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we can't if we can't make it happen on Instagram, then I just don't feel like I need to be on anybody's scruff or or grinder or or jacked or whatever. Like I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I I didn't even think about that. You probably have a lot of people in your DMs. <laughs> Not really a lot of people in my DMs. I'm more of like a hunter. So it's like Oh. If I see someone that I like, then like a quick message. I'm just sort of like, here's the real me. Like, yep. Like I don't want the cut off head version of you. Like if I can't see your face, then I just don't know if this is gonna work. Right, right. So you're doing the sliding into the DMs. I will do like a like a little slide, but like I mean, my D that definitely is it's not being flooded, but they're like you know people are, hey, what's up? What's, yeah. What's going on? Um, but, but also like, it's not an invitation <laughs> to do that. Like, you know what I mean? It's, I'm not sad. I'm not sad. Like I'm, I'm a okay. Yeah. You said it's not an invitation. Do not slide into <laughs> Michael's DMs after this podcast. Well, I mean, you just, just be, be prepared. Like, yeah. Yeah. because I'm like a human, not a thing. You know what I mean? So, so if this human doesn't feel the way that you want it to feel like, be okay with that. Yeah. Yep. Do like you, I have to do it all the time. I'm t- I'm turned down all the time. Do you have people that slide in though, maybe because of who you are, because of your career? Do you have to chart that? And well, see? not so much yet. Um, mm-hmm. not so much yet. There's, it's it's a whole bunch of like, people sliding in because they're like, oh, you got a fat ass. Like it's very much that. It's not like, mm, you're chart you're chart topping single. <laughs> people <laughs> don't care. Um. <laughs> So it's been like a lot of that. Yeah. Soon to be chart topping. I Even if I'm the only one streaming, I've streamed it so much. It's absurd. You're like, I've streamed it enough. So, <laughs> it's, so it's a hit. It's a hit. Yeah, it's a hit in my apartment anyway. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. So what is, what's coming up next um, for you? Are you working on an album behind this single or is it kind of a Yes, the album is coming. Like all sorts of things are in the works. So. I want everyone to stay posted and keep their eyes peeled and you can find me everywhere at Michael Kilgore, M-Y-K-A-L-K-I-L-G-O-R-E. Or you can go to my website, michaelkilgore.com, where you can get tickets to the shows because I'm going on tour starting October 2nd. So, yeah, so it's it's a very exciting time. What cities are you visiting? 
oh gosh, well, I'm going to Atlanta, Chicago, San Antonio, um, Phoenix, well, near Phoenix. I mean, I'm going to a few different places. So like you, you want to just go to the site and take a quick look. And I'm sure adding more all the time. So, and all you'll be the time, yeah. shows, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm definitely going to come out and see you for sure. You better bring your tuchus. <laughs> I will bring my tuchus. I will be there. Um, are we ever going to get a studio version of Didn't We Almost Have It All? Is that my... I never say never. Personal? It's not in the works, but never <laughs> say never. Okay. I'm putting in my request for it. Uh, I like that you are very serious about it and you're like, I'm not holding back. I want it. I- yeah, I'm advocating for it. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, I've just been a fan for so long. I'm so happy for every new accolade and plateau that your career reaches because it just means so much for me to see a gay man achieving, you know, these things and and, and we have so much we have so much more to achieve, so it's exciting to know that we're just at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Um, you gave your social so people can find you there. You can find me on Instagram at Sean L Show and wherever you stream podcasts. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Come home, he did.